The Bible talks about new heavens and new earth. It talks about the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, that is the time that we will receive our resurrection bodies. That is the time that we will be made new. That is the time when we will finally be at home. So there kind of is this home that we have at the moment when we are present in the body and away from the Lord. And then there we will be absent from the body and at home with the Lord in heaven. But there is the ultimate home, and that is a restored body, a restored earth, and all God's good creation being renewed and restored. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Ian Smith. Ian is the principal of Christ College, Sydney, where he also teaches Greek and New Testament. He's also served in parish ministry and as a missionary in the Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu. He speaks regularly at churches and conferences around the world and is the author of a number of books, including Not Home Yet, How the Renewal of the Earth Fits into God's Plan for the World from Crossway. Today, Ian and I discuss what the new heavens and new earth will be like when Jesus returns. We talk about the popularity of heaven tourism books and what that can tell us about common assumptions about life after death, what the Bible says about our resurrected bodies, and what we'll actually be doing in the new earth for all of eternity. Let's get started. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the Crossway Podcast today. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. So a few years back, there was this I think you might call it a wave of heaven tourism books, books about people uh, saying they had been to heaven and had come back uh, and kind of writing about their experiences in heaven, what they saw, uh, the people they talked to. And uh, you know, there was Heaven is for Real, which I actually think they maybe made into a movie, and 90 Minutes in Heaven, Proof of Heaven, To Heaven and Back. They were just a huge success. Uh, what do you think the popularity of books like that, uh, broadly beyond, I think, the walls of the church in America, at least, uh, what does that tell us about the way we often think about heaven and the afterlife? Well, we as humans all share the same condition of our mortality. And so something that will be of interest to everybody is what happens beyond death. Um, Of course, uh, in Australia, it's especially, that's a very much a taboo subject because once we go into those sort of areas, we we start to go into religious differences. But deep-seated in most people is a desire to know what there is beyond death. But people who have experiences of going to heaven and near-death experiences and being revived on operating tables, of course, we as evangelical Christians would not say that experience is our ultimate authority. And those sort of experiences can be very subjective. So I think those sort of issues say two things for us. They show us a hunger, but we need to remember that there is a level of authority in biblical revelation and we need to be careful about how we understand those things. Of course, in in the scriptures themselves, there are people who have visions of heaven. So uh, we need to be careful there. But ultimately, our authority is what the Bible says to us. Yeah, what do you think is is one of the biggest, or what are some of the biggest misconceptions that that Bible believing Christians can have about life after death, about the our final destination or our final home, as you talk about in your book, uh, after we after we die? I think the misconceptions are heard very commonly uh, at funerals. You see them on social media when people uh, are remembering anniversaries of loved ones' death. And that is that we think that 
Jesus comes and restores everything for every person every time a person dies. Uh, and so you'll see people putting up things to say, you know, I now know that my loved one has a body that is free from pain, is um, living in a in an ultimate state. Now, of course, we as Christians do believe that at the point of death uh, that the Christian does go to heaven and they are absent from the body and are present with the Lord. And we do believe at the point of death there is the uh, real presence with Christ, and I talk about that in the book. But there is something that is even beyond that, and the Bible talks about new heavens and new earth. It talks about the second coming of Jesus, and when Jesus comes again, that is the time that we will receive our resurrection bodies. That is the time that we will be made new. That is the time when we will finally be at home. So there kind of is this home that we have at the moment when we are present in the body and away from the Lord, and then there we will be absent from the body and at home with the Lord in heaven. But there is the ultimate home, and that is a restored body, a restored earth, and all God's good creation being renewed and restored. And I think it's that final stage uh, that isn't emphasized very much in churches today. If you read hymns from a couple of hundred years ago, uh, we do see that sort of thing in that sort of teaching in the teaching of the Puritans and other Reformed uh, people who've come before us, but we've kind of lost it in the last hundred years, and I think we need to regain it. Well, why do you think it is that we have lost that that emphasis on our final home in the new heavens and new earth? I think it's because it's so much bigger than us. We we see so much of our salvation in individual categories. Uh, that my sin will be forgiven and that I will be home. And it's very individualistic in how we understand things. And, of course, the Bible does speak to us as individuals. But we don't actually stop to ask the question, if I have a new resurrection body, where is that body going to live? Um, How is that body going to be sustained? Uh, We often value spiritual things so highly, even in our current life, and we kind of take for granted the fact that, we have food to eat and clothes to wear and all those other things around us. But the Bible speaks much more holistically than that. And I think a couple of hundred years ago, uh, people were much more uh, understanding of the fact that they were part of communities. But as we've become more individualistic, we've become more about my salvation, my home, my, 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 and that's ended up where we are today. Yeah, it does seem like one of the hard things about reading Scripture and including the New Testament here, especially, we see, we do see a lot of dichotomies between the spirit and and the flesh, and it seems like the spiritual and the earthly. And I think sometimes that can lead us to, as you say, sort of overemphasize uh, the spiritual things about us and uh, spiritual endeavors that we might undertake here, uh, because we read that you know this earth is passing away. How how should we understand? that kind of language in the Bible in light of what you're saying about uh, this renewed earth that will be you know, our final home? We need to recognize there is a spiritual problem or a more holistic problem, and that is the problem of sin. So the, the issues of death and of sickness and all the despair that we feel in our current situation is caused by sin. So if we don't address that which is foundational, which is the problem of sin, Uh, none of the other things will fit into place. But once we have addressed that, then we can actually become redemptive 
in many different ways. Uh, we can become redemptive, obviously, by proclaiming the gospel. That is always something to be proclaimed. The gospel is always heraldic. It is always calling people to repentance. But we can also live in such a way that we anticipate the values of the coming kingdom. And the coming kingdom will be a place of justice. And so if you're a police officer, that will impact the way you work. It's a place of healing. It's a place of uh, of just renewed righteousness. And so the way we do our jobs, the way we have our friendships, the way we understand our marriages, the way we provide physical things for other people, the way we enjoy uh, the good creation that God has given to us in that he has made us bodies and he's given us relationships. And we are not we are not just a spirit that is incarcerated in a body. We are much more holistic than that. And, and that's how we began and that's how we will end. And so those bookends of creation and recreation really should define what happens in between. So, so the, the gospel is always foundational. Sin is always the problem. The gospel always needs to be proclaimed. It's foundational. But I wouldn't say that the, um, the eye is more important than the ear. And I wouldn't say that one person is more important just because they're gifted in a certain way. Um, there are many different gifts within the body. And re- related to the gospel, as you've mentioned, uh, you mentioned in your book that probably about 90% of the people that you interview when you're when you're interviewing someone for some kind of Christian ministry position of some sort, they don't mention the resurrection, Christ's resurrection, when they summarize the gospel. Um, what do you make of that? Uh, and how does that relate to how we often think about uh, life after death? I think that we, uh, the really good thing about the 90% of people who give a, um, a summary of the gospel in those sort of interviews is they always mention the cross and and that's great and that's because they see the problem as the problem of sin and the problem of guilt but normally in those interviews after they finish with their gospel um, presentation i will ask them if you have you left something out and fortunately uh, many of them then go to the resurrection but even some need to be prompted. And when I ask them, is the resurrection important? They all say it is important. But my question is, which is your question, uh, why did they leave it out? And I, I think when they give a definition of why the resurrection is important, they normally say something that spins back to the cross. They normally say, well, the resurrection shows that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God. Now, of course, that's a, that's a good and proper answer. But the resurrection is so much more than that. Uh, The resurrection is basically the first fruits of the new creation. And in the resurrection, we see not only is Israel, the new Israel, restored in the ministry of Jesus, but because of all the promises to Israel have now been fulfilled, now those promises to Abraham, which was that the blessings will go to the nations, will go to the nations. And then to pick up on Romans 8, not only to the, to the people of the nations, but the whole of creation is groaning, awaiting its restoration. And we have in the physical resurrection of Jesus, who was raised to earth and stayed on earth for 40 days before the ascension. And people often conflate the resurrection and the ascension, but the resurrection is is something that is very earthly. It is Jesus coming to us on earth, and we see in that the first fruits of a renewed creation. Why do they leave it out? I think it goes back to an individualistic understanding of my sins are forgiven, I'll be with Jesus, I'll be okay, and not seeing 
really understanding about a resurrection body needs a resurrected world. Uh, our current bodies will not survive without a current world. And when God originally created us, the creation of humanity was the sixth and final day of creation. And it, it kind of completed the whole thing, but it's, it's a package. We, we needed the, the sea and the land and the birds and all the other part of creation as part of that. And we don't have a big enough vision of God, what, is, what God is about to do. We, we, we understand that God will raise us, but we forget that God is going to raise the heavens and the earth. He's going to raise the universe. And Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit of that. So when people uh, give their answer, it's not so much that they're wrong in what they're saying. It's just that their gospel is not big enough. Uh, what God is about to do is just so much bigger. And what I'm hoping is that some of the grandeur of God's plan in Scripture will be seen and we will just be amazed at our future hope and that is that which will motivate us in our current endeavours. Mm. Yeah, as, I, as I, I'm talking to you right now and, and looking through the book, even thinking about this reality that all of creation is going to be restored, that, that God has a plan for the universe that does go beyond humanity, just simply restoring humanity to our original state or even to a, a better glorified state. Um, there's a sense in which that is a little bit humbling to us. It, it kind of maybe removes the, the spotlight exclusively from humanity. Do you think that's the case? Should we be feeling that? Absolutely. So people who've, there's a little bit of fear in some uh, Christian, evangelical Christian communities that if we talk about areas of social justice or if we talk about areas of enacting justice today or healing or such things that will soon end up with a social gospel. And the problem with the social gospel is that it's ultimately all about us and we are trying to do um, to make the world a better place because God has left us to do that. That's not what the book is saying at all. Uh, God will do it. And uh, it, it all depends on who Jesus is. He is the king. He has come to establish the kingdom. Uh, he has been crowned as the king through the cross and resurrection, but there will be final consummation of that at the second coming. But recognising that it's not about us, we then recognise that we actually become servants of the king and we live in the light of the king's victory. And so there's a now not yet tension in all of that. And it should drive us to live lives for Jesus in ways that are multifaceted. Yes, proclaim the gospel, but yes, be a good husband and yes, be righteous and just and merciful and compassionate as Jesus is in all the areas of our life. But it's not because we're going to bring it about. It's not about us. It's We are ultimately servants of the King and he will do it. Yeah. So I think one of the main ways that we often think about heaven, at least kind of traditionally when we're growing up, is that it's we have this picture of it's a place where we kind of all sit around on fluffy clouds and, you know, if you were asked, uh, what, what are you going to do up in heaven for all eternity, you know, forever and ever, we kind of have some picture of like, you know, worshiping God, praising God, uh, kind of like the angels perhaps in the book of Revelation where we see that picture of them surrounding the throne, praising him. And it, it almost feels like this eternal church service kind of, <laughs> um, practically speaking, what do you, what, what will it be like? What will we be doing for all eternity in the new, the new earth? 
hopefully not just floating around on clouds. I think that'll be incredibly <laughs> dull. Um, God, God created us in his image and to be creative. And we all express work and leisure and pleasure in different ways. But we've got to remember that work predates the fall and uh, pleasure uh, predates the fall. God takes pleasure in, in creation. So I think there is a continuity and a discontinuity between this world and the next. Uh, what that's going to look like, I've got lots of questions and I'm looking forward to find out. But you know, I won't be surprised if we read Scripture in the new creation. I kind of hope we will. And, of course, Scripture was written after the fall. Um, I kind of hope that we will still be singing in that, if we do have that long church service, some of the hymns of uh, Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts and some of the greats. Um, and there will be some sort of connectivity between the two worlds. But, of course, one of the tragedies of death in our current world is that there are so many unfinished symphonies. There are so many unfinished tasks. And I don't know. I mean, will we have the opportunity to finish those things off? Will we still be working I think we'll be working, but without frustration. I think we'll, uh, will we be enjoying, I don't know, the arts or gardening or whatever it happens to be? I don't know, but I do know that gardening was enjoyed before the fall in Eden. So, and it really comes down to how we understand worship. Of course, the high point of worship is on a weekly pattern is what happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. But worship doesn't finish on Monday morning. And that Sunday to Monday divide is one of the things that the book tries to correct, uh, that our work and our leisure and our relationships is all part of worship. So if we understand that we're going to be worshipping God for all of eternity, if we have a more robust understanding of worship, um, then that's, that's I guess that's what we're doing because that's what we will be engaged in without the effects of sin. But I don't think it's going to be one long church service. Um, all that we do will be to the glory of God. And that will be, yeah, that's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be great. So when it comes to the physical world then, you know, the world of mountains and oceans and rivers and trees, uh, do we have a sense from Scripture how much of that will be the same, will stay consistent, or, or is it going to be some kind of, you know, wiping the slate clean and starting over again with a physical world, but... The world that we know today will sort of be uh, will be completely transcended. I think there will be definitely will be continuity from this world to the next. Um, so the Bible gives two metaphors for want of another world word, but they they were real events of the flood in Noah's day, and then of the final destruction that will happen at the time of the return of Christ. And I think we need to read the two events in the light of the other, that at the time of Noah, the world was totally destroyed, but the world was not annihilated, and the very same world was renewed. And I think when uh, Luke's Gospel and uh, Peter's epistles uh, pick up those sort of images of Noah's day, and then particularly in 2 Peter 3, when it aligns that to what it will be like in renewed heavens and earth. Um, I think there's going to be continuity between the two. And it's interesting, when, I, I often, when I'm often talking about this, I actually encourage people to look out the window 
which is a rare thing for a preacher to do. And uh, I, I, if it's a nice setting where we are, I actually encourage people to look at the different hues of colour that they can see. Uh, this world is a stunningly beautiful place. I, I know it's not perfect, and that's because of sin. But if we took sin out of the incredible beauty of this world, uh, even the beauty we see in common grace and in some human activity, I know we're all fallen, but if we were to remove sin from the equation, um, we actually end up with a world where we actually have to end up saying God did not give his second best when he made this world. Uh, he really did something absolutely astounding. And so if God didn't hold back in the creation of this world, if God is going to restore it and recreate it, and yes, it's going to be even better, he's going to even redeem the things that have destroyed, that have marred this world, but there is going to be some sort of continuity. Now, when we go into detail about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, will, will the mountains be that tall and all such things, such things we do not know and we will need to wait and see. But, but Paul talks about the resurrection in terms of a seed and a plant and in 1 Corinthians 15. And when we think that a seed has exactly the same DNA as the plant which follows. And I think that we should emphasize more the continuity redeemed than the discontinuity between the two. But it's a mixture of the two. Yeah, in your book, you, you talk about, you have this quote that I would love for you to unpack. Uh, the Bible is more concerned with God coming down to earth than with humans going up to heaven. Can you explain that a little bit more and how that, how that intersects with what we've been talking about? Absolutely. So there are some points in the Bible where humans, you know, go up to heaven and Paul talks about, you know, heavenly visions and Isaiah has a vision of heaven. So there, there is some of that. But if you think about the main events of the Bible, it's God coming to us. So God comes in Eden and he walks with Adam in the, in the garden we read about. So it's God creating a world and God coming to us. And when that's all, you know, the problem of the fall and being cast out of the, out of the garden, again, God comes and seeks his creation through his image bearers and he comes and seeks his people. And so we see whether it's in the tabernacle, which is a place where God creates a house on earth and God dwells in that temporary house, which then becomes more permanent in the temple, or whether it's in the fact that there is a new Eden, which is the land of Israel, and God chooses from all the nations of the earth. He comes down and blesses the family of Abraham, not because they're any more worthy, but he comes to us, he comes to us. And, of course, the ultimate God, uh, coming of God to us is in the incarnation. And when God comes, um, when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, comes to us. And, and when the temple, God's dwelling with us, is fulfilled uh, in the ministry of Jesus, as Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate high priest, when Jesus fulfills all that the, uh, the temple stood for upon the cross, and even the, the, the temple uh, curtain is rent in two, we see again God coming to us. 
And then, as I've already said in the resurrection, the resurrection, we often think about Jesus going to heaven, but that's not what the resurrection is about. Uh, the resurrection is about Jesus coming to us on earth for 40 days, and we see the first fruits of the resurrection, and we witness that, and we've got records of that in Scripture. And then Jesus does ascend to heaven, but the, the final end that we're, it's all pointing towards is a new Jerusalem, and the New Jerusalem is of such an enormous size, if you read in Revelation 21, it's not going to fit in one city in the Middle East. It's, it's, it's enormous, and uh, it is actually going to be the restoration of God's rule upon the earth. And it's not at the end that we go uh, to heaven. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that New Jerusalem comes to earth, and God comes to dwell with his people. And, and as we as, you know, uh, evangelical Christians would all affirm the fact that we believe in the second coming of Jesus. But a question I often ask people when we get to this point about talking about the return of Jesus is uh, it's a question I've noticed that people haven't often thought about. Uh, when Jesus returns, is he coming for a visit to pick us up or is he coming to stay? And, and there's often a silence at that point. And I believe that if we understand that the the rupture that has occurred between heaven and earth at the fall is going to be restored because of the work of Jesus in the cross and resurrection. And, and therefore, we're not just going to talk about a new earth or a new heavens, but we're talking about new heavens and new earth. We're sort of combining the whole thing together. And so God again will come and will dwell with his people. And his people at that point are not just the people of Israel. It's, it's, it's a whole new re- a whole new creation that has been fulfilled because of the fulfillment of of God's promises to Israel in the person of Jesus. And so it's a story again and again and again of God coming to us, uh, which makes perfect sense because really there is no ability in us to attain to God uh, should God not have come to us. So he comes to us in forgiveness and restoration and and it's just the story of the scripture again and again. Mm. That's, that's just such a wonderful, exciting picture, uh, a true hope that we have as Christians that uh, we are longing for. And yeah, I appreciate you spending some time today sharing a little bit more about uh, what scripture actually teaches on this subject and helping us as Christians to perhaps recalibrate our thinking on life after death and on our future home from where it perhaps was before. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, Matt. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. That was Ian Smith on our final home in the new creation when Christ returns. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Not Home Yet, How the Renewal of the Earth Fits into God's Plan for the World, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.